Um, but yeah, we, we have this, I have my phone over here and it's, it's running the Facebook Live. And so I'm on the internet right now. And I, I commented to um, one of these young ladies over here that it always scared me that someone would reach forward and hit one of the filter buttons and it would put a mask on me or give me a tiger face while I'm preaching. And so I got to watch because I'm pretty sure Noelle's going to do it. And then I'm going to have to fight her in the parking lot. And it's going to be embarrassing when she beats me up. And that's no good. Uh, <coughs> let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer in preparation for the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd uh, be with me this morning. Help me. Um, Lord, as my, my head is kind of cloudy today and I'm, I'm not feeling great. And I pray, Lord, that you would work beyond me and, and um, speak despite my, my frailty and my, my uh, foolishness some days. And I, I pray that you would glorify yourself through, through the message this morning, through, through hearing the preaching of the word. I pray that folks would know you better. Um, I pray that they would hear and, and know your heart and, and feel your calling on their lives. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, uh, so I, some of y'all know I'm, I'm going through a car saga right now. I, uh, I totaled a car a few weeks ago and I had to replace it and I, I bought, uh, I bought a Mercedes because it was the cheapest car I looked at, not because I make that much money. It, it was exactly, almost exactly the same as my insurance payout. And so I bought this car and it's not a brand new car. And, and about a week, a little over a week ago, I was driving it and I got a little warning light. Not a little warning light, it was a big warning light that said, alternator, take to the shop immediately. And, and because I, because I, this is, I'm the reality of who I am, like the shop is my driveway. Uh, and I, I parked the car in the driveway and I checked a few things and I charged the battery to make sure it wasn't the battery because that was a possibility according to the car computer. And it was the alternator, it was definitely the alternator. So I, I, pulled this thing out and I took it to the shop in Great Falls and I ordered another one and I traded it in and I came home and I set out to install this thing and it was the worst thing I have ever done to a car. Like the worst thing. I, I, uh, the wires didn't fit right and the plugs wouldn't connect. They kept slipping loose. And then when I went to put it in the brackets, it fit, but it fit with like a crowbar. I'm not exaggerating, <laughs> crowbar, I had to, and it took me about, about three and a half hours to get this thing installed, only to discover that once it was installed, the wires didn't fit, and so then I had to take my crowbar and pry my alternator back out and try and get the wires to work, and finally, I said, this might be the wrong part. I, it, you know, it, it's a strong indication, the moment you have to break out the four-foot or five-foot crowbar something's wrong. It's not parenting. It's auto repair. It should be easy. Um, and so I, I called the, the, you know, the place I bought the part and then, Oh, well, no, it's the right part. We checked the number. I said, no, this thing, the wires don't fit. I mean, there ain't no one way or the other. The wires don't fit. Like that's all there is to it. It's not the right part. And they argued with me back and forth and I hung up and tried installing it again. And an hour later I called them and said, it's still not the right part. And so they ordered another one. I went and I came in with my part and they said, we ordered the exact same one and now we'll see they're identical. And they took out the part and put it next to it and they weren't identical because it was the wrong part in the right box. Um, 
And, and there's, I brought it home, and amazingly, it took me less than 30 minutes to put that alternator in and get the car running. <laughs> I didn't have to bring the crowbar out. Though if I had, it would have been in, to readjust the car, like, you know, um, it, it was easy once the right part and the right, you know, the right everything made the whole thing work. The wrong thing made it not work. Um, we're in the book of Acts right now. We're going to be working our way through the book of Acts for the next few weeks. Um, and we, like for the last couple of months, we did the body of Christ, like that theology that Paul brings out about the body of Christ. Right now, we're talking about the body of Christ in action. Sort of now we know what the church is, what the body of Christ is, what Jesus, or like what Jesus' body in this world is. Um, and we're looking at what it looks like when it does what it's supposed to do. And, and so like what we're going to be talking about this week is... Um, it is a reality that problems will occur in the church. Not a single amen. I really... <laughs> um, and we're going to talk a little bit about how, like, the early church managed certain kinds of problems, right? And how the body of Christ reacts to difficulty and how it adjusts and takes care of folks. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, last week, we talked about honesty in the church, um, about openness, about the ability to, like, be, be true to who you are and talk about, like, the things that you're struggling with and, and you know, like, not put on a show for folks. Like, that was what we talked about last week. Um, this week, we're, we're, there's a little bit of that in this. Um, there's a lot of growth happening in the church, and with that growth, uh, there were problems that were taking place. And, like, like that reality, um, that reality is going gonna, is gonna to play out in the passage we're looking at. Uh, one last thing before we jump into it. Um, in the ancient world, um, Jewish folks were everywhere, right? There was uh, this thing called the diaspora, right? That's a Greek word. It means, like, basically the Jewish folks were spread everywhere in the world. And so there was not a city in the Roman Empire you could go to where you would not find Jewish folks. Um, and that was wonderful because... Like, because of the uniqueness of that time and place in history with Jewish folks everywhere, when Paul went on missionary journeys, he had a foundation established. And so he had a place to start his preaching. And he had folks with a basic understanding of who, like, the God of the Bible is. And, like, he was able to spread. And, and because of that, it was awesome. Like, it was a good thing. Um, there's kind of an other side to that where it meant there were a lot of weird divisions within the Jewish faith, Right? Um, and in fact, actually, the first century holy books, there's a book called the Talmud, right? Um, and, and there is the uh, Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. And they're completely different books, both of them about 40 volumes apiece. I mean, like they're encyclopedias, but they're completely different. And there were different ways of thinking and different languages they spoke. And that's going to play into this passage because that came into the church. Um, a lot of the Hebrew-speaking Jews kind of had a lower opinion of the ones that didn't speak Hebrew. Got it? So, like, if you were a, a hometown Jewish person, the, the visitors were not, not on your level. Everybody with me? Um, and so, like, we're going to dive into Acts 6. Um, and really, this is a passage about the right piece fitting in the right place, fixing the right problem. Got it? Um, which is why I talked about the car. I forgot to connect it. I needed to come around. Um, in those days, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews amongst them 
complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, <clears throat> in Acts 4, we started out Acts 4, and there's this whole thing about, and they were all of one heart, and they were of one accord, and they all shared everything in common, and like a chapter and a half later, this happens. Okay? And so like, I, I've listened to folks pine away for the early church, and the reality is, like, the early church was this wonderful thing, but, like, churches are imperfect. Got it? And it's because they let sinners in. I have tried to keep sinners out. I'm kidding. Like, it, we are in a fallen world. We are fallen people. The guy next to you is imperfect. You might know very well the guy next to you is imperfect, but don't worry, you're imperfect too. Right? Um the reality is, even from the early days of the church, there was, um, there was kind of a brokenness that came into the door. And, and that's good because the church exists to save people from their sin, to bring people to Christ. Like, there will be no perfection in the church, um, not at this point. Um, so, this imperfect thing happens, and it is that the uppity folks, like the locals, are not taking care of the widows of the away folks. There's two possibilities here. It might have been because they just didn't like them and they said, well, we're going to take care of our folks first, right? More likely, more likely, because the place is growing and because there's more and more people, it probably became very easy to overlook, right, people you just don't know. Makes sense, right? Um, I, I've had folks comment to me, I've been here, oh my gosh, like six years, a little over six years. And I have had people say to me on multiple occasions, I come in the door Sundays, and sometimes I don't know but a third of the people here, right? And then if one of those third of the people doesn't show up for a couple of weeks, do you notice? Well, I didn't know their name anyway, right? Like, it is easy to miss because the more people start showing up and the more movement, the more growth, and the more stuff, it becomes hard to keep track of everyone. And we're a small church. Like, no offense, I mean, you know, we're not... 10,000 people or 6,000 or I think probably at this point it's about 6,000 people in Jerusalem. So you have these folks who are in Jerusalem. Um, by the way, an interesting tidbit I read. Part of the reason there were so many like of these widows there is it was a really common practice for folks when they were getting advanced in age and they knew they were going to die. Jewish folks would go to Jerusalem to die so they could be buried in Jerusalem. It's kind of an interesting thing. And so like there was probably a lot of like Greek-speaking Jewish women hanging around and waiting to die. And they are there, and like when it comes time to distribute food, they get missed. And they, so there is a problem. And the problem is there's unequal treatment. There are people being neglected and not attended to. And what happens is the disciples hear about it. This is huge. Don't overlook this, right? Because... <clears throat> And this fits into last week. We talked about being open and honest and talking. There are times when we hurt or we get frustrated or we're confused about how things are working or whatever. And like the first step in solving this problem, just like my car, the first step in solving the problem was this big red light came on and it said, something's not working, fix it. Right? If that light doesn't come on, I end up stuck somewhere. Um, a part of being the church, a part of being the body of Christ, a part of being together is being open with each other. Um, 
I've had folks come to me and they say, well, you know what, I've been struggling with this thing for the last three years. And it's like, well, I've known you for three years. Like, why haven't you mentioned it? You could have helped. Well, I didn't want to bother you. Well, I was embarrassed. Well, this, well, that. Or, Eric, I've been mad at you for two years because you did this. Why didn't you tell me? I, I love John. John will tell me when I'm wrong. And so does Rebecca. And <laughs> so does actually Sarah once or twice. Um, Stephanie does that. Like people who, like it is a huge thing. Like if you've got a problem and you don't say that there's a problem, it can't get fixed. Got it? And this is a part of the body of Christ. Like we are designed to take care of each other. We are designed to fix things when they get broken. And here we are. Hey, our folks are getting overlooked. It is voiced. And the problem isn't um, the, the disciples don't turn around and say, hey, stop complaining. Quit complaining. That's not the response. Instead, they respond by gathering up and saying, well, what are we going to do about this? Um, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Um, a couple of things here, and there's a couple of really big things, and they're important to catch. Um, firstly, this is not saying that caring for widows is less important than praying and, like, like ministry of the word, right? So, like, these, the disciples say, well, we can spend all our time managing food distribution, or we can do what we're doing now. And they say, well, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to find people to do this part. They're not saying that feeding folks is not important. Right. Because there are folks I've heard who will take this and say, hey, ministry of the word and prayer are more important than taking care of people's needs. And that's not what the text is saying at all. Right. Um, You guys like Peter. Peter has a unique position. Peter, like, hung out with Jesus for three years. Right. Heard teaching directly from God's mouth. Like he is the guy who can do that job. And guess what? He says, well, I need to keep doing this job because this is my job. Um, for a couple of years, Rebecca worked for the church and it was great because there are certain things I'm bad at. I am the most disorganized person I know, right? I no amens. I really appreciate that. Um, but Rebecca has a gift set, right? And, and she is very organized and very administratively minded and very, and there are a handful of y'all here, right? Who have that part of what the disciples are saying is, look, folks who have this gift need to do this job. Um, if my job was to make sure the church got painted, this place would be a disaster. Everybody got it? Because I can't paint. If my job was to cook lunches on Sunday, we'd be in great shape. But it's not my job. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, the point being that the disciples identified their gifts and their job, and they did it. And then they found people who had those gifts, and they put them to work in that capacity. Um, this is important because... We all have gifts God has given us, right? Some of y'all are administrators. Some of y'all pray. Some of y'all have a knack for knowing when things are going wrong and you need to show up and help out. Isn't it amazing? You know folks like that? Where like the world is on fire for you and somehow they know to knock on your door at exactly that minute. Those people are awesome. That is a spiritual gift. Some people are really good at calling it like it is. You know, those folks who will sit down with you and say, this is why it's wrong. This is why it's right. Each of us has a, oh, my gosh, what was it? We talked about this in a sermon recently. One body, many parts, right? Some of us are noses. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are fingers. 
Some of us are, you know, the ears, like all of us have gifts. And they only work well when we all cooperate. Which is a problem because sometimes the church gets dyslexic. Like, dyslexia is an illness where, like, the messages that come in the eyes get all scrambled up on the way to the brain and they don't get to the brain right because the communication's all screwed up. You know what I'm talking about? Some of us are clumsy, like churches get clumsy, where the hands know what they're supposed to do and the brain knows what it's supposed to do, but they don't agree. And so things happen all screwy. What just happened? <laughs> Somebody was really convicted and or got mad, I don't know. Um, and so this is like what he says, listen, we've got to find folks who have these gifts whose job, like God designed them to do this job. We need to get them, and we need to get them to do this. Because this is what we do. This is what we're good at. This is what our gift is. This is where our specific calling is. Um, this actually parallels Moses. Uh, we see in the very beginning of the book of Exodus, not the very beginning of the book of Exodus, the very beginning of the actual Exodus, because that doesn't happen until like halfway through the book, um, <laughs> where Moses is there, and there's like a million people in the desert with him, and they're like, hey, Moses. We were disputing about this. Can you judge this case for us? And Moses says, all right, I'll do that. And then somebody else says, well, wait a minute. If you're going to judge his case, can you judge our case? And before you know it, what's Moses doing? Judging. And he ain't doing his job. He's doing everybody's judging. And Aaron comes to him and says, Moses, knock it off. Find other people to do this work for you. Right? I, some of you guys are Moses for me, where you say, Eric, why are you doing that? Why haven't you found somebody else to do it? Like, how many hours do you have in a day? Do you really think this is a good idea? Um, and God has blessed me with people who do that. And God has blessed me with folks who have a lot more talent than I do. Thank goodness. Um, he says, listen, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect our job. We need to take care of these folks. Um, they didn't neglect to take care of them, right? They said, these folks are, these widows need to be cared for. We've got to get this done. And so the very first thing they said was, how do we fix it? It wasn't, how do we stop this complaining? How do we do this? It was, let's fix this problem. What do we do? Um, Three to four, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So this is a common practice in the ancient Jewish world. You would have boards of people within synagogues who would handle stuff, and they followed the general pattern. Um, It is really cool to note here, this is the first instance of people holding offices in the church, getting assigned jobs, and that is specifically to take care of folks. It wasn't, the first assigned jobs were not like, oh yeah, go teach, right? It was, go take care of folks. Um, It's a big deal. Um, So they follow the pattern, they say, look, Here are qualifications. People who are full of the spirit and wisdom, and actually, um, this is the NIV, it excludes, most translations include um, people who are of good reputation. There's a good standard, right? If you're going to find people to do work to take care of folks, find people who are wise, find people who are like spiritually mature and are like full of the Holy Spirit, and find people who have a good reputation and get them to do this work. And so delegating happens. Um, And the church takes care of itself. This is important. It is easy to fall into the mindset of we hire a guy and it is his job to take care of everyone, right? It is. But who takes care of the church? The church takes care of the church, right? The body of Christ takes care of itself. The hand scratches the nose, right? (laughs) The hand scratches the back. You know, this is what it does, Um, 
People with giftedness do what needs to be done. And it is something we're designed to take care of. It is something that is inbuilt into it. You might take a moment and ask, what are my gifts? And am I using them? (coughs) How is God calling me to serve the body? How is God calling me to take care of my brothers and sisters, like in a way that, that is in keeping with my spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, come talk to me. I'll give you a, like an inventory and you can figure it out. There's about a dozen versions of it. They're fantastic. But the big thing here is spiritual gifts serve the body. They take care of the body. It is the job of the body to take care of itself. Not only that, and this is really hurts, okay, so I'm going to warn you up front. This is, this is the hard part. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to pause there. Stephen was a Greek-speaking Jew. Got it? Like, we know this from other mentions of Stephen in the Scripture. Stephen is a Greek, right? Who's getting neglected? The Greek-speaking widows, right? Now, watch this. Um, A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip. Philip is a Greek name. Procurus, also a Greek name. Nicanor, I cannot pronounce it, but I know it's not Hebrew because it is Greek. Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert from the, to Judaism. And so if he's a convert to Judaism, that means he is a Greek. Right? Or a Greek-speaking, like, Gentile who became... And so, like, all seven of these guys have Jewish names. Or, no, have Greek names. All seven of them were probably Greek-speaking Christians. And so the disciples said, what's the problem? The problem is the Greek-speaking widows aren't being taken care of. So who are we going to get to fix it? The Greek-speaking guys, potentially the ones who complained about it. Because the people who are best at spotting a problem are probably the people who are best to fix it. I mean, I've gone back and forth on how to read this, but I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence. There were a lot of Hebrew-speaking Jews in this church. Um, There were a lot of Hebrew-speaking folks in the community. They're in Jerusalem. I mean, oh my gosh. But somehow they managed to get all Greeks to solve this problem. And the reason, of course, being is because, like, this is their, like, in their neck of the woods. They knew what the problem was. They knew who the people were. And it made sense to deal with it in this way. And so the folks who were most ready to solve it, the most aware of the problem, the most tuned into the issue, were the ones who fixed it. Um, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Kind of a big thing, praying and laying hands on them. We still do it today. It is a big thing. Um, why is this important? Um, because if God makes you aware that something is wrong, it might be that God is making you aware that something is wrong for a reason. And you know what that reason is? Because he wants you to fix it. Right? Like, so if God puts somebody in front of you and say, I should get Eric to go talk to that guy. Or you could talk to him. Right? This needs to be repaired. I should go and, you know, maybe it's your job. Maybe you're a part of the solution. I'm not saying that's for everyone. I might notice something is broken and you don't want me fixing stuff. Believe me, I had a car thing that happened this week. as a strong indication I should not be repairing anything. Um, <clears throat> the point being, we as the body, we as the body, we as the body, our job is to take care of ourselves. And a lot of times God will put a fire in front of us. Um, there's a pastor I knew for a long time, 
who's a very good friend of mine, he would say, every man carries two buckets, right? A bucket of gas and a bucket of water. And the real trick in life is to know which one to throw. So you encounter a fire. If it's the right kind of fire, what do you throw? Throw your gas. If it's the wrong kind of fire, what do you throw? Water. Water. You see something broken. You see people hurt. You help fix it. You see people excited about serving Jesus. You encourage them. Right? And we all play that part. We all do this job. We all have that role. Um, and when God puts things in front of us, when God makes us aware through pain or difficulty or frustration, we go out and we fix it. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Um, that last line there is a big deal because this is a point in time where uh, the church is not just amongst this part of the, the, the city. It's beginning to spread into, like, the religious classes. And this is the absolute front end of persecution, right? Like, because they're just about to hit the point where Stephen's going to be martyred, right? Um, there's a hint in the passage that they're about to be persecuted because um, the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish communities in the first century, and we know this, it's well documented, they had a system for feeding poor people. Right? Like it was a system built within the Jewish economy that took care of the poor and widows. But these widows weren't able to access that, and so the church took care of it. Why weren't they able to access it? Probably because they were Christians. And probably because they had hit this point where they're like, well, you guys are out. And so the church took care of its own. They didn't complain. They didn't say, oh my gosh, why are the Jews treating us so badly? They just fixed it themselves. Um, our calling folks, like, and the reason we're doing this, this series, um, we are the body of Christ, right? Like, you are the body of Christ. I'm the body of Christ. You are related to all of these people because you are a part of their family of God, right? You are brothers and sisters to them. In eternity, these folks are going with you, right? Like, why are we talking about it? Because when the guy next to you hurts, it's your job to help. Um, it's your job to listen. It's your job to encourage. It's your job to maybe show up and help clean the house. Maybe it's your job to help, you know, change a couple of spare tires or, or an alternator if anybody wants to volunteer for next time or whatever. Like our calling as the church is to care for each other. Um, Christ didn't die for us so that we could live alone. Christ didn't die for us so we could hide from each other. Christ didn't die for us so we could pretend that we got our acts together so that everybody else knows how awesome we are. If you're hurting, you could say, I'm hurting. If you see something wrong, you could say, hey, something's wrong, and we could fix it. Like, Jesus poured out his blood and redeemed us to make us into something better. And this, like, again, this is an example. Like, we see this principle behind this. And the principle behind the passage is there was a problem. It was voiced. The disciples figured out the best way to fix it. They fixed it using the folks who were best suited to fix it, right? And then they knocked it down and took care of people. Like, it is a primary job of the church on top of it to take care of the needs of folks. Because prayer and, and devotion and all that is important, but so is caring for the needy. <clears throat> we'll see if we were going to, we're not going to go straight through chapter 6. Um, but a part of what these guys did, um, like we see Stephen, he gets arrested and then he preaches a sermon. Because Stephen was a guy who could preach a sermon. Um, Brooke would always say that, always be prepared to praise, preach, or what's the other one, Jeremy? What? That's it. Preach, praise, sing, or die at a moment's notice. And that's our call, right? That's what we're supposed to do. 
um, my challenge to you today and my encouragement is, look at your heart, look at your life. Like, are there places where everything itches and, like, you're trying to ignore it so nobody knows that things are not right? Like, are there places in your life where things are broken and you're not, you're keeping it to yourself? Yeah, the widows ain't getting fed, but it's better that nobody knows because. Um, are there places where you're hurt and you don't want to come talk to me or you don't want to talk to, um, you know, Terry or John or any of the other, like, folks in leadership because you're like, well, no, people don't need to know that. Um, we can only fix things if we know. Are there places God is challenging you to do more and you're not? That's the hard one, right? I mean, <coughs> um, there's no end to the work. And I say this as a guy who works here. We are never done. There's always someone else to touch base with. There's always someone else to call. There's always somebody who misses a few weeks, and I don't notice because I'm busy, and like two people notice, and we don't reach out to them because, you know, I thought Eric was going to do that, right? Um, there's always something more. And if you walk outside the doors, by the way, like, Right outside the doors, there are people who need the church. Again, it's our job to do that. Our job. I'm going to close in prayer and, and, you know, encourage you. Like, you walk out the door, you take body of Christ with you. You are his hands in in this building. You're his hands in the family. But you're his hands with those who don't know him. You're his voice for those who don't know him. I'm going to close in prayer. And we have a board meeting today after church, so... Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that you would um, challenge us to be the body of Christ together, to act, um, to take action, to, when we see something wrong, to throw the right bucket at it. Lord God, I pray that you would, um, as, as leaders in the church, give us wisdom to recognize when the right part goes in the right place to fix it. Lord God, I, 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 I pray that you would just help us to Help us to serve your will and serve your grace in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.